The Swithin, Book 2, Episode 15. Welcome to The Swithin. Hey there, it's Scott, author of this book you're listening to, and I apologize for my erratic posting schedule over the last few weeks, but you know, the holidays, and plus, as you know, I'm a loser. But because of all that, we're going to skip the old hard sell at the beginning here because I don't want to do it and you don't want to hear it. So let's just get on with it. Now, two important things happen in today's chapter that are going to have big implications going forward. The first is this paper cut that Uther receives. I won't say much about it, but I will say that it becomes a constant element and is all throughout book three, and here's where it happens. So if you stay on with this story, you'll find yourself way further down the line still considering this paper cut, and here's where it happens. Secondly, and more importantly, this chapter introduces the fearsome Ulfius. He's Uther's best friend, and he's one of my favorite characters. In the legend, he's not developed at all. He's just kind of there in the background, and he has some saucy lines that let you know he's a badass and very confident knight. But for the most part, he's just a background character. Well, I decided I liked him, and I have developed the living shipwreck out of him. And while he's here and he gets some good screen time in this book, he really gets a great part in book three and really develops as a very rich and conflicted character there. The other thing about him is that he's with us for quite some time and is going to have some great action because I love him. So after book three, where Arthur's born, Ophius does not appear in book four because that's going to concentrate on Arthur's childhood. But then he comes back in book five and he trains Arthur on how to be a knight. That is in the legend, although it's just one throwaway line. And book five is really going to have a lot of focus and great action for Alpheus. Then he'll be amongst Arthur's first knights and will fight alongside him in book six. And we'll have a little bit in book seven, too, and there he falls out of the story. And then there's another big surprise regarding Alpheus coming up way down the line. But of course, I'm not going to tell you. So anyway, we meet him today. So let's get into it and get right on with our story. Part 2, Chapter 28 It was already past the hour of nuns, and no sign of Merlin. Pendragon and Uther had spent the entire day together, sitting, talking, conducting business, and receiving visitors on carpets laid down between their pavilions. In the morning it was kind of fun, and each was eager to make the acquaintance and earn the friendship of the seer, but as the hours went on, the thrill started to fade away, and it just became kind of annoying. Uther, who would normally go forth with his great friend Ulfius and the other knights to train with swords and exercise the skills of battle, as well as have a few drinks and maybe befriend a few comely maidens of the nearby towns, was now stuck at his brother's side as he met with advisors, looked at maps and planned out strategies, mediated disputes between the men. It was growing quite dull, and he looked longingly toward the creek that ran beside their campground, For it was also rather hot in the sun, and the idea of running over for a quick dip sounded wondrously refreshing. "'How long do you have to wait?' asked Alpheus. He was the same age as Uther, twenty, and both of them had known, grown, and fought alongside of each other all their lives. He was a large, imposing, strong man, like Uther, but where Uther had long hair and a beard that came down to the middle of his chest, Alpheus sported a great, thick mustache that curved down to his chin beside his mouth, and was matched in deep, rich darkness by his fully set eyes and thick black eyebrows. He also sought fun and adventure, like Uther, and loved drink, women, and a good laugh, which made them excellent merry companions. Uther opened up his hands and shrugged. 
His eyes indicated that he found the wait tedious, but he didn't want to let on too much in front of his brother, who was always a bit more able to focus on tasks of little amusement. They both blew their cheeks out in frustration, and Uther drummed his fingers on the arm of his chair. Ulfius cocked a thumb toward the creek. Can't we just go have a splash in the creek? It's so beastly hot, he said. We could be back in five minutes. Let me ask my brother, Uther said, and made a face, indicating between friends that he found it a drag to have to ask his brother for permission. Ulfius pursed his lips and nodded, his arms folded before him, legs stretched straight out, almost too big for the chair in which he sat. Pendragon was involved in poring over a map that showed the nearby Saxon encampments and seemed slightly peeved to have to take time away from his work, and to once more be the serious, disapproving one telling his brother no. I would very much like you to be here when Merlin comes, he said. Uther nodded, but indicated the creek. Five minutes, he said. I know it's hot, said Pendragon. I'm sorry, but I have these obligations. If you could wait and... And he looked over at all he had to do. Two hours. I could go with you, Uther huffed. I know he's coming, but... And here he indicated his pavilions. All day? You could occupy yourself by helping me, said Pendragon. This strategy will involve you, too. I do help you, said Uther, turning away. At that moment, one of their guards brought a small, skinny boy messenger forward. This boy brings a message for you, Uther, the guard said. Great tidings from your lady, said the boy, a knowing gleam in his eye as he waved the letter in his hand. See, said Pendragon, that will help you pass the time. Uther's eyes snapped to alertness as he gazed on the letter greedily. Can I listen to it in my own pavilion, he asked his brother. You can see if anyone goes in or out. It's just there. Pendragon looked up from his maps and leaned to the side to examine the entrance of Uther's pavilion. He could clearly see it, not more than twenty feet away. Post a guard, he said. Of course, said Uther, indicating with a finger that the boy follow him. As he passed Alpheus, who was still in the same desultory pose, he said with a wink, A message from my lady. The messenger boy was eagerly eyeing Ulfius, taking note of his size, demeanor, and appearance. The knight sprang up immediately. Aha, he said. This brightens the day considerably. Let's hope she allows herself to be a bit saucy. He made to follow Uther and the boy into the tent. Uther put up a hand. Let me hear it first in private, he said. Ulfius was pulled up short, then rolled his eyes. Ugh, he said. Young lovers. He pointed a finger at his friend. I'll expect a faithful report, leaving out no detail, no matter how salacious. Uther laughed. Oh, you'll hear about it, as usual. The knight tossed his head as though he didn't care. Fine, he said. You go in that hot pavilion there. I'm going to check out the creek. Ah, you bastard, Uther said. Have at it, and if I'm ever set at liberty, I'll find you there. He looked down upon the boy, who was watching them both carefully, absorbing every detail, and tapped him on the shoulder, indicating that they go in. The knight went his way while Uther and the boy entered the dark, quiet confines of the tent. The boy stood patiently while Uther fastened the tent's flaps, then turned to face him. The boy held the letter out toward him. "'Blissful tidings from your lady,' said he. "'She greets you and wishes you the utmost strength and speed in your campaign.' "'Read it to me,' said Uther. First, look on her hand,' said the boy. "'Smell her perfume. "'Her greeting is much more than the words she says.' Uther took the letter and broke the seal. As he unfolded the letter, he jumped with a quickly uttered ah and put his finger into his mouth. The paper had given him a small cut on his index finger. 
He looked at her graceful hand as he sucked on his finger, then put his nose to the paper and inhaled, smelling a slight trace of womanly scent, which intoxicated his nostrils and caused him to close his eyes. He quickly handed the letter back to the boy, careful to keep his finger away, as it was bleeding slightly. Now read it, he said. Uther sat down on some of the pillows arranged in his sleeping space while the boy stood standing in front of him. He leaned back against the wooden support of the tent. You were with the lady when she wrote this, he said. Yes, said the boy. She spoke very highly of you and said she missed you greatly, but admired the adventure you're on and knows that you'll be brave and heroic. Okay, enough, said Uther. Read it. The messenger boy read it out, stopping to embellish details based on his own memory, or to commend Uther for having won the true love of so fair and noble a lady, even though she were married to another man. And she says, went on the boy, when my husband is present, I may not respond, may even scorn you or scorn the gifts that you offer me, but know with certainty that my heart beats for no one but you, and that my husband will never again command both my thoughts and my emotions as you can. For this reason, I tell you to never believe that I do not love you, no matter how much I may make it seem like it's the opposite, for that is what it means to have won the undying love of one who's wedded to another. The boy paused and watched the effect of these words on the young knight. Always believe in my love, no matter how much I may turn away from you, and know with great certainty that when we are once more in private, I'll repay your patience and your faithfulness. Uther had the boy read the letter several times over and kept him around for hours in conversation, where he asked for news of his lady and how she was doing and feeling and how she spoke of him. Then Uther took the letter himself and discharged the boy, and finally, when he felt ready, emerged from the pavilion just as night was falling. As time passed, darkness enveloped the camp. The king and his brother ate, Ulfius sat with them and drank and made merry talk, and they each heard the contents of Uther's letter, or at least as much of it as he would have them know, and they spent their night in this way until it was almost midnight, by which time Ulfius had retired, leaving the brothers alone sitting around the small fire. Well, Pendragon said, the day's almost over and no Merlin, he said, eyes lowered in disappointment. I guess he lied to us. Both shook their heads, for each had entertained their own thoughts of how the success they might achieve with the seer's favor, and now, well, they were almost too tired to work through all the implications. That is a great disappointment, and I... But wait! And Uther leapt to his feet, scanning the darkness, then abruptly he turned to his brother. Stay here, and I'll introduce you to someone almost as wondrous. He ran off after someone he had seen, and a moment later returned, guiding a small, wizened old man in a worn cloak, almost pushing the old man forward in his excitement to introduce him to his brother. Pendragon, Uther said, look, this is the man who warned me of Hank's attack, and he who saved my life. When Pendragon's eyes alighted on the little man, he could not prevent a warm, knowing smirk from forming on his lips, for he knew exactly who it was. Very pleased to meet you, he said, reaching forth his hand. The old man took it and smiled knowingly, but Uther was too excited to wait. Hanks attacked me, just as you said, he told the man. How did you know he was in the camp, and unarmed? Who are you, anyway? Do you live in these parts? The old man smiled at all the questions, and he glanced over at Pendragon with a conspiratorial look. I will be happy to explain everything to you, he said. My brother knew of Hank's attempt on my life, said Uther, and that you'd come to warn me before, although he was halfway across the country at the time. The old man nodded. He could not have known if someone hadn't told him, he said. Come into your pavilion and I will show you some wonders of which I know about. And he led them to the opening of the pavilion. 
The old man went in first and bid them stay outside, and when, a second later, he called for them to enter, they came in and saw the young boy who had brought the letter to Uther that morning. Uther was astonished, for he had seen no one enter or leave, and could not find the old man anywhere. He even asked the messenger boy if he'd seen the old man, which made both the boy and Pendragon laugh. Then the boy had them go outside again, and when he bid them enter once more, Uther found Merlin in a form he'd never seen before, that in which he'd spoken to Pendragon, and the form in which he decided would be his primary appearance, the bearded hermit in his forties. And he had them once gar go outside, and when he called for them to enter again, Uther now found the wizened old man. This man called Pendragon to him and whispered into his ear, then bid him to step outside once more, and as they did, Pendragon repeated what the old man had said, which were the details of the letter he'd received earlier that Uther had kept secret. Uther was thoroughly bewildered and astonished and a bit embarrassed, but once they'd entered once more, he found the bearded man in his forties, while no one had been seen entering or leaving the tent. At last Pendragon said to Merlin, Sir, are you ready for me to tell my brother your name? Merlin smiled with great mischief. Yes, please, he said. Uther, said the king, this man is the old man who appeared to you, and the young boy who brought you the letter, and a great many people from whom I have not seen yet. This is Merlin, the king gestured with an open hand, whom I traveled in Northumberland to seek. And this man has knowledge of every single thing that has ever happened, as well as of everything that is yet to come. Uther looked at the man before him for a long while as numerous calculations went through his head. Thank you for saving my life, he said to Merlin. Let me say that first. Merlin bowed and made a gesture of welcome. And king, he said, turning to his brother, a smile growing on his face, this man could be of great importance to us. Merlin addressed them as one. I want both of you to understand that there is nothing I wish to know that I cannot know. And King, he addressed Pendragon, do you have any doubts that the things I have said to you are true? You've never lied to me so far, said Pendragon. And Uther, Merlin said, did I not tell you the truth about the love of your lady and the plotting of Hengst? I could never disbelieve you after all you have told me, Uther said. And because you are so wise and worthy, I ask you to always be about my brother and offer him your knowledge and protection. He put his arm around Pendragon's shoulder. Merlin bowed to the brothers. I will gladly remain by your side, and I wish very greatly to be friends with you too, worthy and noble brothers, and to help you to drive out the Saxons and reclaim Britain for its rightful people. To this end, I will offer you all of my knowledge and every great advantage that you could ever wish." Uther and Pendragon were both so excited by this they could say nothing, and only looked at each other, chest puffed up with tickled anticipation, smiles they could barely contain. In their eyes, each other saw many thoughts swirling of all that could be accomplished with the help of a peerless seer such as this. Pendragon, as king, would be all but unstoppable, and Uther would be right there, second to the king, but without his obligations and responsibilities." There are some things you must know, however, said Merlin, and he bid the two brothers to sit on the pillows arrayed across the room while he remained standing before them. I want you to know, and I tell you this because you must understand my ways if we are to be friends and allies. You know that I am a son of the devil, and because of this I must, by the force of my nature, be away from all people at certain times. But I promise you that, wherever I am, I will be more aware of both of you and everything that you do than anyone else. And as soon as I know that either of you are in any kind of difficulty, I will come straight away to help you and offer my advice. 
The brothers found themselves choked up by the planned and unadorned offer of devotion, and both of them simply nodded in response and gratitude. And if you wish to keep me on friendly terms, said Merlin, you will not grumble when I go away, and whenever I come, you will show all the people under your leadership how grateful and glad you are to have me back, so that all the worthy people will follow your example and be glad to see me as well. There will be and are evildoers among those who you call your men, those who hate you and will hate me. But if you always show me cheerful face, they will not dare expose themselves by doing otherwise. The two brothers nodded gravely and shared a glance, wondering who among their men might the wizard be speaking. Also be assured that I will not come to you in any shape other than this or appear in any other guise without your knowledge. I will make your advisors and close liegemen aware of who I am, such that when I return to you, they will be happy too and tell you how lucky you are to have such a great seer on your side. Both brothers agreed heartily. Then, in our unshakable trust, you may ask me any question that comes into your mind, and I will counsel you with the best information it is possible for anyone to give. But I tell you plainly, and here he pointed a finger at one brother, then the other, it is in your best interest to honor this trust between us, and never damage it. For if you ever lie to me, I will know it instantly, and this will hurt you greatly. But me, it will harm not a bit." He looked at each of them gravely and let this warning sink in. Ask of me anything you must to believe in the words I tell you, but do not toy with me frivolously or disrespect and dishonor our trust by lying to me. Both brothers nodded. I will test the truth of everything that you say, said Pendragon, but I will never lie to you or test you frivolously. Merlin nodded, smiled, then clapped his hands. Then gather your closest advisors and the liegemen that you trust the most, and in three days I will show you how clever I am and what great advantage you will enjoy with me. He held his arms out wide, striding back and forth between them like a great and eager showman, and both brothers could not help but grin eagerly and bounce on their seats in excitement. On that day, you and your men will hear how you may drive the Saxons out in great numbers and enjoy a singular military triumph yet without the loss of a single man on either side. He pointed at both brothers. Gather your men and hear it predicted. Then, when you accomplish it, all of your men and those who people of this land who follow you will see your achievement and know without doubt. And here he opened his arms in a great wide and sweeping gesture that the sons of Constance have returned and are truly the worthy and rightful rulers of this land. That's it for today. Join us next week as the story continues. If you get tired of listening over the course of several months, the full ebook and paperback of this novel is available over at Amazon and most other online retailers. You can also order book three, The Void Place, which takes us up to the birth of Arthur, our future king. The full audiobook will also be available and might be by the time you listen to this over at audible.com where you can also find the first book. Just search for The Swithin, S-W-I-T-H-E-N or Scott Tellick, T-E-L-E-K. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit The Swithin website at theswithin.com, T-H-E-S-W-I-T-H-E-N.com where you can also sign up for email updates. And if you like this podcast and this story, please, please tell a friend or a relative or leave a comment on social media or whatever works best for you. But any recommendations you make to anyone else would be very much appreciated. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe or leave a comment or what have you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.